We are looking this morning at Matthew 5, 7 through 12. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, which we have said are the how-to-be's of the Christian life. It is how we are to be like Christ. So let's begin. In fact, I'd like for us to just start back at the beginning. And let's just go ahead and read verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, it's telling us to be blessed, to be happy, to rejoice, even in the midst of persecution. But how can we do that? The only way is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Beatitudes are giving us the path for experiencing that blessed life, that life of flourishing and of well-being. In fact, Jonathan T. Pennington in his book, um, Jesus the Philosopher, said, It's hard to be happy. If it weren't, we wouldn't have 577,000 mental health professionals, 15 million people suffering from depression, and a $10 billion industry in bibliotherapy, self-help books. <laughs> this is just in the United States alone. In fact, I was looking at some statistics recently, and the rate of depression has more than tripled during 2020. Once again, we see isolation is not healthy for us. So it's very important for us to reconnect to check on one another, to pray for each other, and to live life with each other. We were never intended to live this life alone. And the Beatitudes are Christ's philosophy of life. It's our way to live for our own well-being. In fact, Jonathan Pennington also said, philosophy focuses on character traits and habits that, if practiced, will result in a flourishing life and society. So not only is it for your well-being, but when we live according to the Word of God, it is for the, our whole society's well-being. So here's a brief outline of what we looked at last week. We studied the first four that we said really are directly related to our relationship vertically with the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we have R's for all of these. Isn't that fun? Jean started that last week, and so as she was doing them, I had to scribble down and find R's for the ones for this week, too. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's redemption, because it isn't until we're broken over our sin and we repent of our sin that we can actually enter into this life with Christ, because it is a life exchange. When you're saved, it is not simply saying certain words, believing certain things, it is giving your heart and life to Christ and receiving his life through his Holy Spirit. It literally is a life exchange, and he becomes our Lord and Savior. That's what happens when we see ourselves in light of his holiness. We recognize our sinfulness. In fact, anybody in Scripture that ever saw the Lord, what did they do? 
<laughs> they fell on their face. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me. I am unclean. I am unclean. We feel the same way when we see him as he is. We understand our sinful separation, and it causes us to mourn, and that's what leads to repentance. When we begin to mourn as we see our sin in light of his holiness, we repent and we are drawn closer to him, which then enables us to be gentle or meek or humble, as we studied last week. We will not think more highly of ourselves. We will think on Christ. Our estimation will be in him. Our identity is in him. And then we will begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because once you've been saved, you see yourself as you are. You see him in all of his majesty and grandeur and holiness and faithfulness and mercy. You're going to hunger for more of him. And the Bible promises that when we do, we will be satisfied. And I gave that one ravenous. <laughs> he allows us to hunger and thirst for him. And it is only in him that we're actually satisfied. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy us. In fact, the things that we've longed for, the things that we've anticipated, once we finally get them, what happens? Whether it's the new car, the new house, the new clothes, the new purse, whatever it is, what happens after you've had it for a little while? It starts to become old, does it? It's no longer in style. And suddenly you don't find satisfaction in it like you once thought you would because everything that is temporal that's of this world is passing away and it is only in Christ that we find real satisfaction real purpose and have our needs met so those first four beatitudes focused on our relationship with the Lord and the next four will focus on our relationship with others Christ's concern is that we be changed from the inside out he was always focusing on the heart. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 17 through 20, do, do you not understand that everything that goes in the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus made it very clear that outward conformity to the law did not cleanse the inner man. Jesus saw into their hearts just as he sees into ours. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, how's my heart? How is my heart? Because a changed heart produces a transformed life. You know, everything grows from the inside out. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, is covered, buried, it won't sprout and grow, right? And what happens? That seed breaks open and it grows from the inside out. It's the same way we grow. Because when we're brought back to life spiritually and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, in our spirit being, in our innermost being, we begin to grow then from the inside out. And that's what we're focusing on in this study. We're not talking about outward conformity. I'm not giving you a checklist. That's why your spiritual discipline this week was so important, to get some protracted time alone with the Lord so that you can hear his voice, so that you can examine your life, so that we can slow down long enough to think about what we're thinking about and make sure we're bringing those thoughts into captivity to Jesus Christ. Listen to the message version of Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is such a fresh approach to this verse that tells us we're to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Listen to what he says. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you 
Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And remember, this was a burnt offering. It was totally consumed. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So that's why we want to pause every day and offer ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, everything on the altar. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, what do you have to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You know, Paul, the great apostle, was passionate about seeing people saved. He was a church planter, and as Steve mentioned Sunday morning, he was passionate about going places where people had not yet heard the gospel. He wanted to take the gospel to every person in the civilized world in the day in which he lived. But he was also passionate that people grow spiritually. In fact, he said in Galatians, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He labored to see them saved, but it didn't stop there. And we said this in the introduction, salvation is the door into the kingdom, but there's an entire kingdom of God. There's an entire Bible, God's revealed word and will that he has given to us for us to explore so that we can live this life for our well-being and the well-being and flourishing of our society. He also said in Ephesians um, that he labored earnestly that they might grow in spiritual maturity. He would not stop until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Their spiritual maturity was of great concern to Paul, as is ours. <laughs> And your spiritual maturity is of great concern to us. It's why we do what we do. It's why we write these Bible studies. It's why we meet together. And I want to encourage you, one of the best ways you can really grasp what you're studying is to share it with somebody else. Share it with a child, a grandchild, a friend, a sister, a brother, a mother, a neighbor. Share what you're learning with someone else because once you can articulate it and you're making it a part of your life, it really becomes yours. You know, when we see ourselves in light of Christ's holiness and grace, we will mourn over our sin and become humble in the sight of God and man. We can honestly say that if there's anything good in me, it is Christ. And I can say that. I am a firstborn, stubborn, strong-willed child <laughs> who rebellion was so much a part of who I was and I didn't see it because I was trying to be a good girl. But I was doing it in my own strength and in my own way and according to my own reasoning. And it wasn't until the Lord opened my eyes to the truth of what it means to die to my flesh that I was able to come alive to Christ. And when I saw my sin and rebellion, the way God sees my sin and rebellion, I was broken before him. Broken and repentant, and suddenly it was vile and disgusting, and I no longer wanted to be that rebellious, strong-willed person. I wanted to channel that will into my love relationship with Jesus Christ so that he controlled it through his Holy Spirit. So as we move from our focus on heart attitudes that lead to an intimate relationship with Christ to the attitude of the heart that blesses our relationship with fellow man, man we're going to look first at blessed are the merciful. Now, for this one, I chose reconciliation. 
Because what did Jesus, or what did Paul say to us in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We now have this ministry of reconciliation. Are you actively seeking to see others reconciled to the Lord? Are you serving? Are you merciful? Do you see them in their sin and not see their sin, but see the person that the enemy's taking advantage of? See the person who's been deceived by the evil one, maybe by the world system or even their own flesh, maybe their family of origin. Do you see who it is God has called them to be? If you do, you will be merciful. We looked this past week at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And what was Jesus explaining when he gave this parable? He was asked by a lawyer, what's the most important command? And what did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said the second one is likened to it. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And what did the lawyer ask? Well, who's my neighbor? I'm a good person. I love the Lord. I obey the rules. Who's my neighbor? And what does Jesus do? He gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we know that this man fell among robbers and that there were two very religious people, a priest and a Levite, who saw him but crossed on the other side of the street. Because if they had touched him, come too close to him, they would have been unclean. They wouldn't have been able to do their religious duties. But you have a Samaritan someone that the Jews would have looked down on. And Jesus is putting this Samaritan, this half-breed. Most Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would walk all the way around it to get where they were going because the Samaritans were unclean. They were not as good as the purebred Jews. And so Jesus is taking the Samaritan and painting him in the best light. And what does the Samaritan do? He sees the man who fell among robbers and he stops. He takes care of his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to the inn. He pays for him to stay there. And he asks the innkeeper to look after him and says, I'll come back through. And if you need more than this money that I'm leaving with you, I'll pay for whatever it takes for this man to be well. That is mercy. Mercy moves us to action. Mercy is the heart of the Lord. And once we've seen ourselves in light of his holiness, once we have been humbled before him, we will never put ourselves above another. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are to, in honor, prefer one another. So we will be merciful because we have received such great mercy. And as you are merciful, God will grant you even more mercy. It will cost you time, money, just like it did the Samaritan. It's going to cost you to open your heart and your life to people and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that is what Christ has commanded us to do. There are ways that we can get involved. Bellevue offers so many ways that we can get involved. Serving through Bellevue Loves Memphis, we have so many pathways that you can get connected with partners across the city that we serve through that ministry. Arise to Read, 
You can tutor a child one by one. You can come alongside a single mom and become her friend and meet with her once a month, work through some curriculum, and ultimately make sure that she knows Jesus as her Lord and Savior. You can volunteer at Life Choices. You can sponsor a child through a ministry like Compassion International. You can pray for and support a missionary. You can come alongside a single mother and help her and befriend her and encourage her. There are so many ways that we can be involved if we will just see. You know, the religious people saw, but their hearts weren't moved. And I think so often we see, but it's just a glance, and we're unmoved by what we see around us, by the pain, by the poverty, we have plenty of it in Memphis. So there are many ways that we can show mercy to our neighbor and love our neighbors like we love ourselves. The next one is blessed are the pure in heart. And I chose righteous for this. And I gave you a list of people. Now, this is just a sampling of the people that the Bible calls righteous. But if the Bible calls somebody righteous, they're righteous. Perfect? No. But they sought to walk with God, and the Bible called them righteous. You've got righteous Abel, Noah, Abraham, Job, King David, King Asa, King Hezekiah, King Josiah. You know, there were 19 kings in the northern kingdom. There was not one good king. Now, they had some amazing prophets, but not one good king. In fact, some of the most wicked kings ruled in the north. In the southern kingdom, you had 20 kings, and you had six that were decent kings, like Hezekiah and Josiah, who sought to lead the people to honor God's word and to live according to God's word, and God blessed them as a nation under their reign. You've got Zacharias and Elizabeth that the Bible says both are righteous that became the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist himself was a righteous and holy man. Joseph was a righteous man. And when he found out that Mary was expecting outside of wedlock, what did it tell us? He wanted to put her away privately. He wanted to be discreet about it because he was a righteous man. He did not want to harm her. But then the angel of the Lord came to tell him, this baby that has been conceived is actually the long-awaited Messiah. And Joseph took her willingly as his wife and kept her as a virgin until the birth of Jesus Christ. Then you have Simeon, the one who served the Lord in the tabernacle, and the moment he saw them coming in for Christ's circumcision and his dedication, what did they do? He came to them and blessed them. He was a righteous man. And Cornelius, the centurion in Acts, even though he was a Roman citizen, because he feared and revered the Lord, the Bible called him righteous. So how are we to be righteous? And it's not, once again, about outward conformity to the law. It's about an inward heart change. It literally comes from the inside out. A pure heart is a cleansed heart, a heart that loves the Lord fully and completely. In fact, Martin D. Lloyd-Jones said, the pureness of heart, therefore, corresponds to singleness. It means, if you like, without folds. It's open, nothing hidden. You can describe it as sincerity. It means single-minded or single-eyed devotion. One of the best definitions of purity is given in Psalm 86:11. Unite my heart to fear thy name. What does it mean to unite our hearts? Lord, bring it together as one. Give me that single devotion to you. Help me to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it means to be righteous. That's what it means to be pure in heart. It's to have a heart that's wholly devoted to the Lord. Psalm 24 asks the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. But aren't we grateful that the actual translation is, he who has, a cleanse, who has cleansed hands and a purified heart. Because it is in Christ Jesus that our hands are cleansed 
and that our hearts are purified. The Bible says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you see God? When's the last time you paused and acknowledged his presence? Have you done it at a sunrise or a sunset? And pause and say, God, how beautiful is your creation? Or maybe it's when you're looking at a mountain range and the majesty of the mountains just overwhelms you at God's creative power. Or maybe it's the waves lapping on a beach and the peace that you feel just listening to the water. Or maybe it's the wide-eyed wonder of a child. Their joy and excitement, and in that precious child, you see the Lord. Or maybe it's a broken woman, a woman who's come to the end of herself, and she's come to Christ, who has patiently and faithfully pursued her, and she's ready to surrender her life to him. There's nothing quite like seeing him in the people he has created, in the nature, the beauty of all that he has surrounded us with, and to recognize it's all fallen. Can you even imagine what it's going to look like when it's restored? Can you even imagine what we're going to experience in the kingdom of heaven? In fact, Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven said basically what we see now as wonderful, I mean, the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced is like black and white flat (laughs) compared to what we're going to see in heaven. The full colors, colors our eyes have never even seen. It's going to be full color, 3D. We're going to be blown away when we actually get to see and experience what the Bible says, eye has not seen nor has ear heard, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But he gives us glimpses in this life and we see them all around us if we're in tune with his spirit and we take time to look and really see. Then he tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. Because, you know, if we're right with God, we're humble, we're hungry, and we're, we're seeking righteousness, we're thirsting after him, we're going to be merciful, we're going to be pure in heart, we're going to be purified, we're going to be able to see him around us, see him at work, get in on what he's doing, and when we get in on what he's doing, we will work alongside him in restoration. That's who he is. He is the one who redeems, he is the one who restores Before you can be a peacemaker, you really must be entirely forgetful of self. Because as long as you're thinking about yourself and shielding yourself, you cannot be doing the work properly. To be a peacemaker, you must be, as it were, absolutely neutral so that you can bring the two sides together. You must not be sensitive. You must not be touchy. You must not be on the defensive. If you are, you will not be a very good peacemaker. The peacemaker is one who is not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has upon himself. That's from Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. Excellent book, by the way. Makes you think of Galatians 2.20, does it not? That we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I I live this life in the flesh, but I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I'm dead, I'm not going to be offended. 
And I just have to tell you guys, it is incredibly freeing to be able to look at you and tell you, you can't offend me because being offended is a choice. And I am choosing not to be offended. I am choosing to place you in the best light possible. I am choosing to love you with 1 Corinthians 13 love. And you know what? It's not just for your benefit. It's for mine. Because taking up an offense weighs you down. Taking up an offense can grieve the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life, can quench him and make you out of tune with the Spirit. I want to walk in forgiveness. I want to walk I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be one who is restoring people to Christ, not pushing them away from him because I've had my feelings hurt. I've been offended. You've left me out or whatever it may be. You just make your circle bigger and you bring people back in. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love brings down barriers. Love is what we're called to. And if you are a peacemaker, you are going to be a lover of people. In Francis Schaeffer's book, True Spirituality, he said, pressure is put on us by a world that does not want to say no to self, not just for a minor reason, but out of principle, because they're determined to be the center of the universe. Those people view all of life through how this is going to impact me. When you can die to that, when you can die to your rights and you begin to live only for Jesus Christ, it's incredibly freeing. And now you're looking at life through the lens of the kingdom of God and you're asking, Lord, who can I serve? Father, who can I share the gospel with? Lord, who do you want me to come alongside? Lord, who needs a word of encouragement? How, who can I pray for, Father? Ask him to come alongside you. And as you get in on what he's doing, you begin to see as he sees and you will become a peacemaker. Paul said in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That means that in Christ, as peacemakers, there will be no levels among us. There's no such thing as racism in the heart of a believer because there's one race, the human race. There's no such thing as socioeconomic differences because anything I have, I am simply a steward of. I hold everything with open palms. And if the Lord says, give it away today, I give it away today because it doesn't belong to me anyway. Everything I have, every good thing comes down from our Father. Our Heavenly Father blesses us with everything that we need so that we can be a blessing. So whatever we have belongs to him. There's no division in education level. And I can tell you, if you walk with the Lord, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he will teach you everything you need to know. If someone's walking in the Holy Spirit, they can be more in tune with the Spirit and the truth of God's word than a PhD, a theological PhD who's not walking with the Lord. It is not about facts. We know that. It's about being in tune with the Spirit of God. This Word, God's Word, is God-breathed. And He's calling us to encounter His living Word and let it change us from the inside out. Well, I can just promise you when you start living this way, you're not going to fit into the world. You're going to be more and more uncomfortable here. Less and less entangled because you aren't going to fit in. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I've got a question for you that I have in bold on mine. That's not on your handout because it came to me later. (laughs) We will not look like the world, talk like the world, or have the value system of the world. Now, listen to this part. If you are indistinguishable from the world, if you look just like the world, you have every reason to ask yourself if you are really in Christ. Because if we are in Christ, we've had a heart change. We're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean we are going to have a desire to please the Lord. We're going to have a desire to be in his word. And because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we are no longer going to be able to tolerate sin and act like it's not there. It's going to make us miserable because we're going to see our sin in light of his holiness and we will mourn over it and it will cause us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us at the proper time. And when he puts us in a position of influence or leadership, we recognize this is by your hand only, Lord, and I am completely responsible to you for how I live in this position of influence, wherever the Lord chooses to place you, because he gifts us and places us in his body as he pleases. So ask yourself, am I different from the world? Is my value system different? Do I dress differently? Do I talk differently? Do I watch things or not watch things that other people watch and find okay? When the Holy Spirit, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more sensitive you become to the Holy Spirit and the less you fit in with this world. You know, what's really cool is you find that the first four Beatitudes parallel the second four. Those who are poor in spirit will be merciful. Those who mourn over their sin will be pure in heart because they will repent. And that is how our hearts are purified. Those who are meek, humble, will be peacemakers. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be persecuted. You're not going to be like the world. You're going to be countercultural. You're going to feel like you're swimming upstream. But the beauty is we have everything we need to swim with power because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Christ's philosophy of life and perspective is a very different perspective from the world. It's absolutely countercultural. The only way we can live in the kingdom of heaven is to die to the kingdom of this world. In strengthening the soul of your leadership, the author said, spiritual transformation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. You know, this week's emphasis in spiritual disciplines was on taking an hour. And I know for some of you, you're thinking, how in the world could I possibly fill an hour? But if you will try it, I promise you it will go by faster than you can imagine. And if you will begin setting aside time to be with the Lord in his word and in prayer, and then lift your request up to him, 
He will begin to reveal himself to you. He will begin to speak to you. In fact, as I was studying this lesson, I just love, I mean, how many times have we read the Beatitudes? How many times have we read the Sermon on the Mount or studied the Sermon on the Mount? And yet every time you study God's word, every time you open it, he's going to reveal to you new truths about himself, help you make new connections that help you actually live and walk in the truth that he's revealing to us. And I get so excited about it. And I love being able to talk to my daughters about what God is revealing to me. And this morning, Lindsay, was actually teaching at her church in Athens, Georgia. And so we were able to pray for each other. She was driving in this morning. We got to pray for each other since we were both going to be teaching today. I can just tell you, there is no greater joy than seeing your children walk with the Lord and seeing them excited about what God is revealing them to them through his word. And what's amazing is she's teaching me. She's now becoming my teacher. She's teaching on Naaman this morning. And as we were talking about it and looking at Elijah and Elisha and comparisons with John the Baptist and Christ and all the pictures of Christ we see in the Old Testament, both of us got so excited. <laughs> There's nothing better, ladies, than getting into the word of God. And I want to encourage you, commit yourself to mastery of this word. Jesus Christ is worth your time, your focus. He should be preeminent in all of our lives. And if you will seek to master this book, the beauty of it is it will begin to master you. As Jesus Christ becomes Lord and master in every area of our lives, we are then set free to live and to actually have the attitude of Christ, which are the Beatitudes that we've been studying these past two weeks, the how-to-be's of Christ-like character.